today we're going to be looking at anger, the sin of anger. And uh, as we were preparing this sermon series uh, this summer, Matt and I were kind of talking through it. And Matt goes, you know, I want to give you another opportunity to speak. So he says, uh, you know, which of these sins would you like to, to tackle? And I'm like, you know what, I'll do pride. And of course, Matt and his arrogance was like, I can do a much better job at pride. So why don't you go ahead and take anger? And so I'm like, uh, you know, uh, yeah, there's some bitterness started to develop in my heart. No, I'm kidding. So Matt was like, hey, I'm going to take this time off. So I was like, great, I get to get my mind wrapped around, you know, the, getting ready for uh, this message today. And so it started last Sunday where we finished church and I said, okay, now I'm going to start getting my, my mind into the mode of anger and just leave it to the way things work out. That Sunday was not a good day to start focusing on anger as my team, the Denver Broncos, decided to lose a third, uh, the, another game of their third a three-game losing streak, and so that was a lot of frustration and anger that went into that game, but I thought, hey, you know what? The Rockies are also playing, and I thought, you know, they'll make a series out of it, but nope, they decided not to show up either, and so there were two of my teams that decided to go ahead and test my anger and frustration as I uh, prepared for this week, and Matt has already said that he was not a fan of this series going week two into it, I think. And he said the reason it was, he wasn't a fan is because it just re, he realized how much that he still had to deal with stuff. And, and we realized how big of an issue that sin may be. And, and for some of us who have been believers for a while walking with Jesus, we, we might think to ourselves like, oh, I'm not really, you know, that sin is not really a big deal. I, I kind of got, you know, I kind of got a grip on it. Only to dive into it and spend a week on it and realize I got a lot of work left to do on it. And this week was no exception as I started looking into anger. And myself, I wouldn't say that I'm an angry person. I think I'm a pretty calm, easygoing spirit. But when you go ahead and focus on anger as a sin, it's amazing how throughout the week things begin to test your patience and begin to test your anger especially that it's Balloon Fiesta weekend and the traffic that comes along with it. And just everybody seems to be in a crazy mood this, this week. And so I had a lot of opportunities to go ahead and work on what I was working on for this week. So that was fun. And although we say that the series may not be fun, I mean, when you're talking about a series in, uh, of sin, it's not really one that you bring your friends to. Like, hey, man, come, you know, come listen to all the sin that we got to deal with. You know, it's like, ah, it's not one that you invite your friends to. But it is necessary. It's important for us. And anger, the sin of anger, it's, it's a little bit different than the ones we have been looking at with pride and, and with, with greed and with lust so far because I feel like those, we can kind of see those in our lives. And we can see like, oh, you know, I, I feel like I'm being greedy or I feel like, you know, the, the lust is starting to, to well up inside. But with anger, it's kind of built into us. Anger is a part of it's something that God made, right? Because God made man, and so man has this emotion of anger in him. So how does it become a sin? And we're going to dive into that. But let me just say right off the bat that anger in and of itself is not a sin. It's when anger leads to sinful behavior that it does become a sin. In the message of, about greed that Matt gave, he said, he, he spoke on money, and he said that money was amoral, that it was neither good nor bad. It was what we did with it that either made it good or bad. And in the same way, anger is not, just because anger is, or is present doesn't necessarily mean that it is sinful. And also in that sermon, I think he also uh, alluded to, you know, fire produces heat, but not all heat is produced by fire. And so for our own lives, we see anger or somebody become angry. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're being sinful, and we'll dive into a little bit more of that. And so if sin is, uh, if, if anger in and of itself is not inherently sin, well then, what is it? And that's the question we'll start off with today. So what is anger? And we're going to look at a few things that anger is, and then we'll look at a few things of what anger is not. So we'll start with what anger is. First off, first thing is, Anger is an emotion. You're like, well, duh, right? That's nothing profound. But looking at emotions, emotions are God-given, and they're meant to enrich our lives. I mean, just look at joy, joy in our lives. That's enriching. I mean, I mean can you imagine if we were just very robotic and we had no emotions in our life? It wouldn't, we, we wouldn't have the joy of seeing our, our family or our loved ones or our friends uh, uh, do 
you know, special things and, and the joy that comes about by seeing uh, ones we care about do awesome stuff or we get to be a part of uh, get-togethers where we just have joy of being together. No, that, that, that's meant to enrich our lives. And we can see how easily joy can enrich our lives. But what about the other ones like fear and sadness and disgust? Like how do those enrich our lives? Well, they, they do another thing, another very important thing along with enriching our lives. They enrich it in a much different way because those particular emotions, they draw us back to God. When you have, I mean, I mean think about it, because people will say, well, why not just have joy all the time? And I wouldn't argue with you. That would, that would be a great thing. But if we're honest, when things are joyful, how often do we go to God or do we spend quality time with God? I mean, sure, we'll give God credit, like, oh, thanks, God, I appreciate you doing this, or oh, man, thank you, Jesus, for this. But there's not that fervent, on-our-knees prayer of, God, where are you when there's fear, when there's sadness? God, I need you, and and we're just, we're yearning for him. That's a much different feeling and approach to God versus when things are joyful. We also see it manifest itself in enriching our lives through things like music. I mean, when somebody composes uh, some music and they put their emotion into it, and if they've done a good enough job, we get that emotion back out in our lives. We see it as well. We turn on a song, and, and whether it's a happy song or a sad song or you know, uh, even an angry song, we get that emotion that comes, it comes through. Also in, in movies, we like movies because we like the emotion that it brings out in us. Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not so good, but all the while, movies, they enrich our lives, that art. And another way that it enriches our lives is uh, it manifests itself in food. The other morning, I was making breakfast for my family. Once I got them all situated, I, uh, I decided I'm going to make some toast. And rather than doing my usual butter and jelly, I decided I'm going to shake things up a bit, and I'm going to do some cinnamon sugar. And so I, I put it on my toast, and I sat down, and I took a few bites. And it was crazy because I looked at my wife, and I said, this makes me think of my mom, like in elementary school. I said, my mom used to make it for me before I would head off to school. And it was just crazy. I haven't had it probably since I was maybe in mid-school, but all these years have lapsed, and I take a few bites, and through food, emotion comes back into my life. It's meant to enrich it. And so we go, okay, I give you that. I can see how these things can enrich our lives, and and yeah, we get joy can enrich our lives. But what about anger? How does anger enrich our lives? It's kind of one of those oddball emotions that we might not really see as being enriching and fulfilling in our lives. But anger as an emotion can enrich our lives in three ways. And, and the first way is it does a few things, and it reveals boundaries. See, we may not have realized that something was, uh, uh, that there was a boundary in our lives until anger wells up in us, and we realize all of a sudden, wow, that, like there was a boundary that was crossed that I didn't even know was there. Somebody stepped over it, and now I can't unsee that boundary, and now there's that boundary that's manifested itself in our lives. And that plays into the second thing that it does. Not only does it reveal boundaries, but it reveals what's important to us. And the only way I can think about illustrating this was in a relationship. Say you're hanging out with somebody. Oh, we're just friends, right? We're, we're just friends. We're just enjoying hanging out with each other. There's nothing going on. There's, 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 it, we don't see it as becoming anything else. And you're spending a lot of time with this person and you know, you're just friends. And then somebody comes along and begins to pay attention to that person, and they begin to flirt with them or whatever. They begin talking to them, and all of a sudden, this anger, this jealousy, this frustration begins to well up, and what was once a person that we just saw was a neutral person, they're just a friend, all of a sudden now becomes very important to us because a boundary was crossed, and it revealed to us that that person was important, and it was all manifested by anger. And that's not a bad thing. It just reveals to us, hey, we actually do care about this thing. We care about this person. We care about this subject because somebody crossed that boundary. A third thing that it does is it reveals who we want to become, and this is part of our character. So when I was younger, I, you know, I always knew that I wanted to be married, and I knew that I wanted to be a dad. But it wasn't until I actually became that that I realized I want to be an even better husband. Like, I want to be a great husband. But it wasn't until I became a husband and that you realize that sometimes there are some boundaries that, that you got to you gotta make sure to keep you know, guard of. 
that real to me that I, I do, I want to be the best da- uh, husband. And then when I became a dad, I realized I want to be a great dad. And when you cross those boundaries, like it, people, one of my buddies asked me um, after I had Ella, he goes, is it really like, is it really like a, like a change? I mean, when you hold your baby and I said, it's, it's, it's weird. People told me about it, and I didn't believe it until I held her, and it was just a different ball game. I was like, things will never be the same. And that's kind of what happens when, uh, uh, when anger can be utilized, when somebody crosses a boundary. Man, that, that's important to me. I realize that I want to be somebody that I'm not right now. And even though I'm angry about something that may have happened or them crossing this boundary, I realize that I'm working to become what I want to be. And so that's what anger does as an emotion. It, it, it reveals boundaries, what's important. It reveals what we want to become. But anger also enriches our lives in another way. First, it was an emotion, and now anger is also a tool for our utilization. And anger, like fear or distress, can stir us into action. It's that whole flight, uh, fight or flight mentality. It gets blood pumping into vital organs in order to get us to move and to do what we need to do. For instance, if someone is a very passive person, they're not very confrontational, but they see an injustice taking place or someone in a harmful situation and it wells up anger that, oh, I can't believe that that person is being taken advantage of and it stirs them into action and they begin to be confrontational as a result, that's not a bad thing when it stirs us into emotion, but it's a tool. And just like a hammer is a great tool for pounding in nails, it can also be used in a dangerous way as a weapon. So we need to keep guard on that. But it's a tool for our utilization. And so we saw that anger is an emotion. It's a tool for our utilization. So what is anger not, right? And, and anger, first of all, is not a way of life. And sometimes I think we, we by default, go, uh, you know, well, this is, this is just my personality. This is just who I am. Or we blame it on our heritage. It's just in my blood. I'm just angry. I'm just short fuse. It's just who I am. This is just how God made me. And maybe God did make you that way. Maybe God did put it in your heart to be the person that wants to step into action and get things done. But we can also pervert a good intention. Something that God gave that was meant to be utilized for good, we can take and we can twist and we can, we can pervert it and make it into something that's not so good. But anger is not a way of life. Uh, I just mentioned that it was a tool for our utilization. It's, it's meant to be used in, in moments in order to, to, to get us to act and respond in a certain way, but it's not meant to be a constant, and, it, and it also it affects our health when it becomes a constant thing. I've, in reading about how anger might affect our lives, I, I found a couple of uh, quotes from a few different people, one from a, 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 you know, a clinical psychology side, another from a doctor, but one is a, a professor of clinical psychology at Hofstra University. His name is Howard Kasanov. And he says, anger becomes a problem when it is too frequent, it is too intense, it's too enduring, and when it stops working for you. Again, it's meant to be a tool, but when we overutilize it, then it starts to lose its dynamic in our life, and it just becomes a constant. And when it becomes a constant, um, <clears throat> doctor named Michael Kutcher at Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center, he says, anger is not of and by itself a cause of coronary artery disease or a cause of heart disease. But if the anger is sustained and the blood pressure is affected and the heart rate affected, that indirectly can lead to coronary disease or disease of the heart muscle. Anger has also been linked to other things like depression and obesity and addictions of all kinds. Again, a tool that was meant to be used in a specific situation or to, to step into action is not meant to be a constant thing. And when it does, it begins to wreak havoc within our body in all types of ways. So anger is not meant to be a way of life even though we might say it's just part of who I am. It's not intended to be that. Another thing anger is not is it's not an excuse. And this one's pretty self-explanatory. You know, we say, oh, man, I'm sorry. That wasn't me. I was just angry. And we'll see this a lot of times in abusive relationships. Oh, that, that's not who they are. They were just mad. They were just upset. Beginning to make excuses for things that are going on. But anger is not a mulligan. It's not a free pass. It doesn't just give us the green light to do whatever, and we get to write it off and say, oh, I was just angry. It's not an excuse. The third thing that anger is not is it is not uncontrollable. When we lose anger, it begins to control us. And as I was preparing this and I was focusing on this particular part, 
I couldn't help but think of um, people who have dogs and they're out walking their dogs, but instead the dog is actually walking them, right? It's just pulling them and it's crazy. And then the dog jumps all over you and it, it'll eat your food and it, it jump in your car. And, and it's just, it's crazy. It, it just, it's just a dog out of control. And people go, oh, it's just my dog. Sorry. They're just like that. And it made me think of um, another show that I really like to watch on Saturdays. Maybe you've caught it, but it's uh, The Dog Whisperer, Cesar Milan. On Saturdays, it, it, I love that show. I love watching that show because this show is just full of crazy dogs, dogs that are out of control, and the owners are always like, that's just the dog. They're never going to be fixed. And here comes Cesar Milan, and he walks in, and this dog that's just been uncontrollable, he comes in and gives him a little tap, and then all of a sudden the dog is just calm and chill, and they're like, I've never seen that. And so one thing that he says in the intro of that song is, I rehabilitate dogs and I train people. And what he's getting at in that, in that phrase is, he's, is dogs are pack animals. They're meant to be led. They need a leader, a pack leader. And when we fail to lead, when somebody fails to lead that dog, that dog just then becomes in control. So in the same way, when anger or when sin in our lives, when we let it lead instead of us leading that, it goes crazy. And it's like that dog. We just go, oh, that's just, that's just how it is. But anger is not uncontrollable. Think of the words of God when he's speaking to Cain and Abel, when he's speaking to Cain specifically. Back in Genesis 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 7, Cain and Abel are the, the first kids born to Adam and Eve, the first humans. And God is speaking to Cain because he's, he's just kind of a little upset. And he says this very profound thing that I think is going to be very appropriate for us, especially as we dive into this today, but it's just, it's profound and we may just run by it. But he says this, sin is crouching at your door, you must rule over it. And when I say the sin is, or anger is not uncontrollable, God has given us some insight here because if he created man, and so he knows how we work, and he goes, guess what? You don't have to be ruled by sin. You get to rule over it. And when anger becomes a sin, he's given us an insight saying, you can control this. And we get this picture of somebody that's crouching outside a door waiting for somebody to open it so they can stick their foot in once it closes and they walk off so they can get in and they can wreak havoc. No, we need to be alert. We need to be mindful of that. And we need to rule over it. We need to master Sin, master anger, and take charge. We lead, not it. And we'll see a similar verbiage used today in our text. And our text for today is going to be Ephesians chapter 4. If you have your Bible, please turn there. Um, <clears throat> it'll be on the screen, of course, but Ephesians chapter 4. And in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul, uh, we're going to pick up in verse 25, but uh, at the start of the chapter, Paul is speaking of the body and how we're all parts of the body and the importance of, that we need to play uh, uh, doing life together as a body and, and, and being in community. And then he talks about our growth and then he goes on to talk about our maturity and what that looks like and how we need to not go and to be like the Gentiles and live the Gentiles' lives where we get callous to sin, where we just become desensitized to it. Instead, we need to have sensitivity to the sin and then he also says a beautiful thing, and I love this picture um, in verse 22, where he says, to take off our former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. Corrupted by deceitful desires. Take off your old former life. Meaning all the, the, this nasty clothes, this, this nasty thing that we do, we take it off, we get cleaned, we come out uh, of, of being clean, and we no longer go back to those dirty clothes and put them back on. Instead, no, in verse 24, it says, and we put on the new self, the one created uh, according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of truth. So we take off that old self and we put on the new self. So we're living in community as a body. We all have our roles and we're maturing and we're not doing the old life that we used to do. And we're taking off the old life and we're putting on the new. And then this is where we pick up in verse 25. Therefore, so in response to all of what he just talked about, the old life, taking off the old and putting on the new, he says, therefore, Putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. 
Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And, do, and don't give the, the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, sustaining it all these years and allowing us to be able to have it in our hands today. But God, let us not just read this and, and feel good about something, but instead utilize it to really look into our hearts. Really let it show us what's going on inside God and how to deal with it. God, guide my words. Let my words honor you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 26 and uh, verses 27 are pretty much where we're going to hang out for today. Uh, And verse 26 says, be angry and do not sin. Now this is taken from Psalm 4.4. And Psalm 4.4 reads like this. It says, be angry and do not sin. Same thing. On your bed, reflect in your heart and be still. And this, the Psalm 4 is actually going to be complementary, uh, complementary to what we're looking at in, in Ephesians. And we'll kind of bounce back a little bit and kind of look at it. But on your bed, reflect in your heart and be still. See, they start the same way, both in Ephesians and in Psalm uh, 4. It says, be angry. Now, nothing in Ephesians or in Psalms uh, points to anger being something that should be completely avoided. Like, just don't, don't be angry. No, it doesn't say that at all. And actually, it kind of gives the green light. It says, be angry, because there are some things that you should be angry about. Just like we pointed earlier that anger, uh, when it manifests itself in our life, can reveal some, some new boundaries or some things that are important to us. And especially as we become followers of Jesus, we get and dwelled, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, and all of a sudden, things that maybe we didn't care about before become important to us, and, and, and they're important in our life. And so he's saying here, be angry. There's some things that are just okay to be angry about because they're not right. They're injustices. And when we see injustices, we should step into action. As God's people, God loves people. God loves God says all throughout his word, you know, that we, we need to show others that we love them. So we need to fight for people who are disadvantaged. We need to fight for the rights of people. But we need to be careful not to let our own selves pervert the good intention because that's all too easy to do. We need to be careful not to cross from that category of, hey, it's okay to, to, to be angry and then letting that go over into sin. And we're going to dive a little bit into that. So be angry in the second part, and do not sin. And between that word angry and the word and, it seems like there's just tons of gray area. Like there's, there's just so much room for being angry and letting it cross into sin. So we're like, so what happens? And, and it leaves room for questions like, when does anger then become sin? And anger becomes sin <clears throat> when it leads to sinful behavior. That's obvious. But when we act on pure emotion and not on wise and thoughtful decisions, God gave us a brain. God gave us the ability to be able to function. We're not animals. We don't just respond on pure carnal instinct. No, we have brains to process things and think it out. I mean, if this guy cut me off, if I just respond purely out of emotion, this guy cuts me off, we pull over, we have some words, and instead of sharing the words of Jesus with him, I share some other words, and then I get upset, and in my anger, you know, people are like, ah, I just saw red, and then I punch him. If I do that, I'm not stepping back from the situation going, okay, if I hit this guy, I am facing charges of assault, probably can go to jail. Um, 
then I'm going to have to deal with legal ramifications, and that's going to cost money as I have to go and, and deal with all these court fees. And then not only that, but what if I punch this guy, and instead of him dropping like I envisioned, he turns and smiles at me and then begins to beat the tar out of me, and now i got to face hospital visit and hospital bills and all that stuff. No, instead of stepping back and processing like, is this really worth it? And just acting on pure emotion, that's when it becomes sinful. Also, when uh, anger becomes sin, uh, when it leads to a sinful behavior, but <clears throat> when selfish or when it's driven by selfish ambition or desire. See, we can try to use righteous anger as our cover, but if we're honest, I think what's behind a lot of our anger or our righteous anger is self-seeking actions. So we need to be careful of that. You know, we can protest and we can oppose lots of things in this world that are unrighteous, but are we just allowing that to harbor a borderline hatred in our life? That's a sin. But if we use righteous anger, it allows us to kind of be okay with it. Another thing that we, uh, we see is we can push for righteous laws, right? We, we want to fight for religious liberties. We got to have religious liberties. And I'm with you. We do want to have that. But let me ask you, what if religious liberties did away. Are we more concerned that we don't have the freedom to go share the gospel message with the world? Or are we just concerned that we will be inconvenienced? Because imagine if one day the court said, it's now illegal to be a Christian. You can no longer publicly be a Christian. Anybody caught doing so will be arrested and face severe penalties. All of a sudden, that changes everything as far as a convenience standpoint. I mean, think about today. You can hear a little bit of rain. Now sunt is closed. How many people were driving and saw the sunt was closed and they're like, oh, I can't go to church. Church is blocked off. Guess we can go eat some breakfast, right? <laughs> you know, some people have to walk miles and miles and miles with worn out shoes to go celebrate together in a faith family. But I just washed my car and now I got to drive through the dirt. Times are hard, right? But it's that convenience. I, I, because we have religious liberties, we have the freedom to say, I'm not going to go to that church because that church, their music is not that great, and their coffee is better over here, and they got better lights over here, and the parking is easier over here. And so we just, it, we're doing it out of convenience. We, we want religious liberties because of convenience, not because of the fact that we, we, we get to share our religious liberties openly and publicly, because if they did away with the laws, we just cease to be Christians? Because guess what? Not being able to come through the main road and having to go through a dirt lot or around a block is a lot different than having to meet at night under the cover of darkness because we may be carried away quite possibly to our deaths like, the, like what happens in China. So is our anger at religious liberties not, uh, or is it, is it really because we want the opportunity to share Jesus openly and publicly without having to worry about legal ramifications, or are we more concerned about the fact that we'll just be inconvenienced? That selfish ambition. See, we recognize other sins in our life, like, we, like I said, greed and lust and those things. We can see that in our life. But I think one of the important things we can't miss here is what Paul says in verse 25. He says, you know, tell the truth to each, one, uh, to each, each one's neighbor because we are members of one another. He's talking about community. One thing about in our lives about being in community, being, knowing each other intimately, is we get to speak into each other's lives. We can say, oh, I'm doing this in the name of, of righteous anger, and, 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 and I'm, I'm doing this in the name of Jesus. But if we might ask our brothers and sisters that we know in tight community... Might they say, hey, man, you're kind of, you're not really known for being a loving person. You're kind of known for being kind of, kind of a hateful person. We need that community to be able to speak into our lives. Another thing, and another way to recognize uh, 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 the sin in our lives, in, in James 1, James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, to shed some light into how selfish ambition can be twisted in order to become sin. 
James 1, chapter 14 says, But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire uh, has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Now, I want to look at that word enticed. Each one, he's talking about temptation here, but we get that it's talking about sin. Each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. That word enticed, I'm uh, going to use that interchangeably with seduced. When our selfish ambitions or our selfish desires get validated, it is enticing. And when you think about someone who's, uh, people who have had an affair or someone who gets seduced, um, it's not always just an instantaneous thing. It's something that happens over time and people will say, why, they just, they just made me feel wanted again. They made me feel validated. They validated me. They recognized me. And that feels good. And in the same way, uh, so he goes on to say, uh, validation feels good, but then that also leads to, uh, it says, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So you're enticed, you're seduced, and then that, that desire has time to conceive. And Matt talked about lust last week, so I'm not going to say a whole lot, but I'm just, conception takes time and action. And sometimes conception happens quick, and sometimes it takes a while. But, all, but either way, it takes time. And when we have anger, when we have frustration in our lives, we get sometimes one of the bad things that happens is that we get into these echo chambers in our lives. We go onto forums or we get around people groups or we get around people or groups that think the same way that we do and they have this righteous anger that we have and we just become this echo chamber and there's no other outside opinion coming in because we won't accept it. We just want to be angry and we want somebody else to validate that anger and we just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth and there's no escape for you know another opinion and we're allowing that to have time to conceive, that anger to conceive and become sin as it says, it gives birth to sin. feedback. If I took this microphone and I turned it on and I pointed it directly into this speaker, you would hear this horrible noise. And the reason it does that is because the the microphone is supposed to pick up a voice or whatever it's picking up. It sends it into the transmitter uh, or the receiver. The receiver puts it into the mixing board and the mixing board shoots it back out the speaker's now, when you stick a mic in front of it, what it's doing is it begins to pick up its own signal, and it just, it's this nonstop loop, and it makes this horrible, horrible sound. That's what we become when we become uh, people who get stuck in an echo chamber. As we're no longer people of blessing. We just become this horrible noise that nobody really even cares to hear anymore. So we need to be careful. Sometimes we need to pull away. I told you the last time that I spoke that I quit doing a lot of things or, or, or even talking about things in a political realm just because I was becoming a very bitter, angry person and I didn't want to be a part of that anymore. In some ways, maybe we have to make the intent to pull away and to back out of that. So beware of selfish ambition because if we get stuck in that rut, man, it can, it can then become and produce sin. So be angry and do not sin. And the second part of verse 26 says, and don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, looking back at Psalm 4, 4, it says, on your bed, reflect in your heart and be still. So it kind of gives us this idea of, you know, the nighttime, right? At night, we begin to, we, we say goodbye to our friends or if we're out and stuff, we go home and we, we begin to calm down. We turn off the lights, put the kids to sleep, and, and then you're there left on your bed with nothing to stimulate the eyes, nothing to cause a distraction with the ears. You're just there and you have time to reflect, you have time to, to think. It's the opposite of being quick to respond. Now, you, you're, while you're there, you're able to focus and reflect. And what do you reflect on? You reflect on who is who. What I mean by that is that God is God. God is in control, that He is the righteous judge. He is the deliverer. And guess what? We are not. We don't have to carry that burden to bed with us. While we're laying there, we go over all the scriptures that we spent time in and we, we reflect on it and we go, oh, yeah, you're in control, God. In Romans 12, uh, 17 through 21, I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to read a little bit, but kind of paraphrase it or sum it up. It says, Paul in Romans 12 says, not to repay evil for evil, 
Do not avenge ourselves. Vengeance belong to me, says the Lord. And do not be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. See, when we get angry about things and, and when we jump into action or when instead of going to bed or on our bed or when a time of reflection and a peaceful time when we're just kind of pulled away from everything and we can spend time remembering that God is God, when we don't do that and we get dissatisfied with the way that God is handling things and we think, God, this needs to happen, what we do in essence is we're putting ourselves in the place of God and that is a dangerous place to be because then in essence we're making ourselves God. I want to be the judge. I want to be the one who is right. We need to be careful with that. Instead, let's take a step back and remember our place, that he is God, we are not. Then in verse 27, it says, don't give the devil an opportunity. Remember those words uh, words to Cain by God. Sin is crouching at your door. In the New Living Translation, verse 27 says, and don't give the devil a foothold. Or don't let the devil get a foothold. It's that same idea that he's crouching, he's waiting, he's just waiting for that opportunity. And when he sees us in this, this constant loop of, oh, we're letting anger fester, he's just waiting for that opportunity to let himself in. Because what happens is when we're aware of a bad situation or when we're aware that we're in a, you know, in a place that is not very good, we're on heightened alert. For instance, when it's you act a lot differently when you're at a parking lot in the day when you're, versus when you're at night. When you're at night, you kind of take a little more time to scan versus in the day when there's people around, you're not too concerned about it. In the same way, we can't forget that we have an enemy that's looking to destroy us, and that should affect how we act. I'm not saying be afraid and live life in fear, but I'm saying live life aware that you've got an enemy that's just looking for you to slip up and carelessly go walking out the door without taking a look around, look around to see if... You know, someone is waiting to, to harm. And the devil is just waiting for that opportunity to get his foot in the door and wreak some havoc. So be careful, because when we go blindly with, and we let anger kind of rule, we make errors in decision. We don't think things through. We just act purely on emotion. So we talked about what anger is. That anger isn't sin in itself. Anger is meant to enrich our lives. It can enrich our lives, and anger is also not excuses. It's not a way of life. It's, it's not uncontrollable. We see that we get to be angry, but we just don't let it become sin. So how do we avoid anger becoming a sin? And this is where we're going to start to wrap things up, and we're going to look at verse uh, 31 in chapter 4, verse 31 and 32 in Ephesians, and it says this. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. Right? Doesn't that just sound like angry stuff? Bitterness, wrath, shouting. Like that's, those are all things that tie in with anger. Let that, let that all be removed from us. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. See, forgiveness is the process by which we avoid anger becoming a sin. I say process because, you know, some people go, oh, you just need to forgive them and just like forget, bro. It's all good. Like, no, like there's some things that hurt and it takes a while. But I want us to think about it uh, from the idea of like a pressure cooker. See, my wife and I just recently got a pressure cooker, I would say several months ago. And all our lives, we'd heard, oh, they're dangerous, you know, be careful. And these new ones they got out are pretty amazing. I mean, they're, they're, they say they're fail-safe, and from what I've seen, they're pretty awesome. But a pressure cooker is an awesome thing. I mean, I love the fact that I can put a roast in there, and it's done in less than an hour. My wife makes this awesome soup with potatoes and Italian sausage and kale and heavy cream, and it's amazing, and it takes five minutes to cook. Five minutes. It's amazing. It's a beautiful thing. But it's only good and it's only an effective tool when it's utilized and it's functioning properly. See, in a pressure cooker, one of my things, the reason why it's safe, why they say mine is safe, is because it's got this fail, uh, uh, this fail-safe pressure release valve. See, while the, the, the pressure is building inside and it's cooking that food using pressure, there's also a tiny bit of pressure that's being released, which avoids it from basically becoming a bomb, becoming a bomb in your house and destroying And in our lives, when we begin the process, again, process of forgiveness, 
begin working on forgiving the person, praying for them, considering them. We're, we may not release all that pressure immediately, but it begins that little tiny process of just pressure becoming uh, there, and we don't become dangerous to ourselves by health reasons, and we don't become dangerous to others by blowing up on them. See, we avoid leaving anger uh, uh, or, or our own selfishness, and we, we prevent it from festering and building up that pressure and becoming dangerous. And like all the other sins we've talked about so far that Matt's shared, they all start with self, right? We're at the heart of it. We focus on self in the same way with anger. We're focused on our, our convenience, our selfish ambitions, our desires. But when we forgive people, when we make uh, it, an intent to forgive people that have wronged us, or that we feel wronged by, we put the focus on them, not on us. And so we're talking about forgiveness. Matt wrapped up last week a story of forgiveness found in the Gospel of Luke. And this week, I'm going to wrap up with another story of forgiveness found in the Gospel of Matthew. This is found in chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Um, I'll have it up here on the screen if you don't want to turn there. Matthew 18, it says this. Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants and when he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. And maybe you see in your Bible's footnotes, but 10,000 talents basically equates to 20 years worth of wages for a laborer, or 6,000 denarii. So he owes this huge amount of money, and, and, and the guy is brought before this, this king who wants to settle accounts. In verse 25, it says, Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything that he had be sold to pay the debt. And at this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave the loan. That servant went out then and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, so a day's worth of wages. And he grabbed him, and he started choking him, and he said, Pay what you owe. So give me my money, punk, basically, right? He's, he's upset. And at this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. The same thing that he said to the king when he was in his place. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. And I highlighted this verse because it just stuck out like a sore thumb. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. Now, those are some heavy words from Jesus. And yeah, we can walk away after reading that <clears throat> passage and we can walk away from the service just being overwhelmed by the weight of the words of Jesus. And maybe that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life today. Maybe he's impressed that on your heart and you're just like, oh, I didn't, you know, I wasn't hoping to walk away with that. But my hope in reading this, this passage was for us to be able to see the awesome part that we get to play in God's work. <clears throat> because we are a forgiven people, we get the opportunity now to forgive other people because we ourselves have been forgiven. People who need it. If you can, I, I mean, some of us have been a believer for a follower of Jesus for quite a while. Those who are new in the faith can more readily recall it. But think about the burden of guilt and the shame and the anxieties that you were carrying around with you all the time. Because somehow, in some way, you knew you were at odds with God. And you even see it today when you talk to some people and they go, oh, man, I can't go to church. I'm just, I got too much stuff, man. I don't belong there. 
But we know as followers of Jesus, what it says in 1 Peter, that we get to cast all of our anxieties, all of our guilt, all of our stress, all of our anger, we get to take all of that stuff to Jesus. We get to cast it on Him because He cares for us. And there's a world out there that needs to know that. There's a world out there that they're just looking for the opportunity to say that you Christians are judgmental, right? And what the forgiveness does in, as we begin to forgive people that have wronged us is it just begins a good loop that God forgave us so we get to forgive other people. And they get to see that in their lives and realize, well, if you forgave me because, you know, why did you do that? And we go, well, because God forgave me all the stuff that I did. And then you share your testimony. And the person goes, well, you had a lot more baggage than I had, so God can probably forgive me too. And it just begins this awesome process. And we, we get to be a part of God's working and sharing the gospel message. People need that. Also, with this anger, I, it made me think, and anger is an emotion, and I said it draws us to God. It makes me think of um, my daughter, Ella. She made me proud the other day because she started playing with Legos. And her dad, she didn't know her dad was a Lego ninja master. And uh, just a side note, I, 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 don't, I didn't say this in the first service, but isn't it crazy how kids can forget their homework, they can forget their, 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 their jackets everywhere, they can just be very forgetful and they you know, to clean your room and they just somehow it escapes their brain. But they can have this huge tub of Legos and they know, they like have personal inventory, like you'll hear it and parents know the sound, right, digging through it because we know that there's that one little piece like I'm like, I know it's in there. And you know, my dad be like, I don't think it's in there. Like, no, Dad, I know it's in there. And we'll dig for a while. Like, I told you it was in there, right? I don't know why I thought of that, but I'm just like, it's crazy how kids like they have personal inventory of Legos. <laughs> but Ella's dad was a Lego ninja. And so when she started getting into it the other day, and she was like, Dad, I'm gonna build you a castle. But she only had like 10 little pieces. And I'm like, no, honey, you can't build a castle with that. I'm like, let, let your daddy show you. Let daddy disciple you in the ways of Lego. And so we go to Walmart, and I get her some, uh, a, little, a little bigger pack, and, and she's there putting it together. But, you know, I forget how difficult that is for a three-year-old to begin to try and put that stuff together. And she's trying to build this little crab, and, and I'm walking her through it. I'm like, honey, just follow the pictures. And, and, she gets it, and she, she's almost got it, but she can't quite. And as a dad, I'm like, I just want it. Like, I'm like twisting, like trying to help her. And I want to do it for her, but I also realize that she's got to learn and it's beneficial for her. But at some point, she just gets to a frustrated point. She goes, Dad, help me. When my kids are happy and they're joyful and they're playing around and they're having a good time, Dad's kind of one of the last things on their mind. Sure, they'll come run up and give me a hug, but they're just having a good time playing. It's not until they get hurt or they're afraid or they're sad that that emotion draws them back to their dad. They go, Dad, I need you. And with anger in the same way, at some point we get frustrated. We go, I, I, I don't have control of this. I can't get it. Dad, here. And God is more than willing to help us in that maturation process as we grow, as we mature in our faith. And so he gives us this awesome word, and he gives us the awesome ability. He inspires men to write his word. And, and Paul wraps up again by saying, and he, he gives the how we begin this process of not letting anger become sinful. He says, forgive one another in verse 32 of Ephesians as he wraps up that chapter. He says, forgive one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. There is nothing that anyone has ever done to us that is more than what we've done to God. When we try and hold grudges against people, well, you don't know what they did in our lives. We always remember. That's the beauty of remembering that we are forgiven to forgive because anything that we've done or we feel people have done to us pales in comparison to what we've done to God and offended Him. And yet His mercies are new every day and He forgives us and He lavishes upon us His grace. And so as His children, we need to respond in like manner. Don't let anger get stuck in a loop in your life where although it may have started in good intention and although it may have started in a righteous place then allowed to be turned into sin because we just let it conceive out of selfish ambition we let it conceive sin
And of course, we know that once sin is full grown, it brings death. Let's not let that happen, church. Let me pray over you, and I'm going to have the worship team come up and lead us in a closing song. And the song is Ever Be, and uh, that's a cool song. My praise will ever be, on, your praise will ever be on my lips. When we do, when we get to be a part of what God has called us to do. When we get to go and share with others, like, I'm going to forgive you even though you wronged me. And I may not forget right now, and I may not be fully over it, but I'm going to start the process. We get the beautiful thing of letting God's praise be on our lips because we get to share with the world that we were once enemies of God, and yet he forgave us. So we're going to begin that forgiveness process and we get to have his praise ever be on our lips because we remember our place. Let me pray for you, church. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for forgiveness, for forgiving us in Christ, for calling us into community and allowing us to do this life together and teaching us. Thank you for your word that it's very convicting, but we're grateful that you show us how you plan to work things out for your purpose and for your good. God, thank you for giving us these awesome emotions that are meant to enrich our lives, and we're sorry for the ways that we pervert them and we twist them. Guide us through the power of your Holy Spirit to be able to live lives that reflect your glory. God, the frustration, the anger that, that I deal with and that my faith family here deals with, God, I pray that we would take it to you. We would share our burdens with our brothers and sisters so that we would be forgiven, that we'd be healed, that we wouldn't get stuck in this endless loop. Instead of being this horrible noise to the world, God, instead we'd be able to share a beautiful gospel message that Jesus loves, Jesus saves, and Jesus takes your cares and your anxieties and he carries them. Father, let your work begin today to renew us, to refresh us, and to draw us closer to you. And thank you for these frustrations and pains that cause us to go back to you. You had a perfect plan and way, and help us just to submit to it, God. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.